Shalom and welcome again to another edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Um, and if you'd like to contact us here at uh, Jewish Sacred Aging and for the podcast, just feel free to email me, Rabbi Address at jewishsacredaging.com. And we invite you to check out the website, jewishsacredaging.com and the Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page. And we welcome your comments and suggestions for the podcast, for the website. If you'd like to write for the website, please let us know. And um, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of a series of these podcasts, also just drop me an email at that address, rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com, and we'll pick it up from there. Very, very, very easy. And this is a reminder that uh, these podcasts um, are brought to you by Advocare. Advocare, elders here, family there, rest assured with Advocare. Advocare is a one-stop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, healthcare support agency that handles people and your concerns and family members from Palm Beach County all the way down to Miami-Dade in South Florida. It's really, really important. Some of you probably have gotten that phone call at 10, 11 o'clock at night, or God forbid, in the middle of the night, uh, that a relative, a mom, a dad, a sister, or a brother has had some difficulties and they're living in South Florida and you're living thousands of miles away. Um, and there's no need to, to really stress with AdvoCare. The AdvoCare nurse care manager has everything covered. He or she is on their way to your mom or relative's house, will professionally assess the situation. Uh, your nurse care manager is familiar with all the medical issues that are concerned in a medication regimen. They'll try to evade a hospital emergency room visit by calling the doctor. And if necessary, will accompany your relative, your mom, your dad, etc., to the hospital. And you'll always know what is going on. And it can assist in making those very, very critical medical decisions. Advocate care management is a full-service care advocacy and life care planning organization which serves all of South Florida. We know the best medical providers and the best medical centers of excellence to handle your family-specific issues and set up plans to keep your parents at home safely for longer and assist in the transitioning to a senior living community if necessary. Advocare can manage all details and alleviate your stress because you live far away from your loved ones. It's a very, very important service. So many of us um, here and living and watching and listening perhaps have this situation and there's a concern living so far away. If you want to contact AdvoCare, ask for my friend Amy Siegel. Their website is caremanage.com. That's www.caremanage.com. And their phone number is area 561 266 3489. That's area 561-266-3489. And um, a reminder, when you get to them, just uh, if you can, just mention that you heard about them on Seekers of Meaning. Well, we have a very special guest, something very exciting to talk about, and we welcome Baruch Haba, uh, Hanan Hachol, a New York-based teacher, filmmaker, animator, artist, classical guitarist and um, high school teacher um, in New York City. What, and you teach filmmaking, right? 
filmmaking. It's a film production uh, class in a, in a public high school that is a CTE, career and technical education school, where kids um, can learn professionally um, a trade in the arts in addition to the academics. So they study uh, filmmaking for three years and, uh, and they learn everything from editing, production, wow. filmmaking. Yeah. So you're teaching future S Steven Spielbergs. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. Uh, Hanan is in New York, um, raised in Israel, correct? In a kibbutz? So I was, I was born in kibbutz Kinneret. Um, I moved to New Jersey at the age of two. So, um, you know, I was speaking a little bit of Hebrew, but then, uh, I switched to English. Uh, my mother continued speaking Hebrew to me. My father wanted to switch entirely to English, but, um, I was basically in the United States from the age of two. Um, but my parents are both Israeli and, uh, and very, very much uh, affected by my Israeli heritage. Well, that's good. And, and you, we were talking before we went on the air about you, you, you spent some formative years up the road from us uh, in uh, South Jersey, Princeton area. So you speak New Jerseyan, uh, <laughs> which, is, uh, <laughs> which is even better, which right. is even better. One of the most exciting things, the reason why we invited Hanan uh, to today's Seekers of Meaning is the, the use of film to talk about some very, very, very um, challenging and emotional-leading issues. Uh, you have a, and you use the concept of animation. Yep. Uh, uh, and, it, and, and you've done your own film. You, you, you told us you have, you produced your own film about a teacher, which is about your, first couple of years as a teacher but tell me about um animation first of all what what led you to to understand that animation is um perhaps a me maybe even better medium than a than a classic film yeah so um it's an excellent question uh i started out studying art uh and i went to college for art for painting and drawing uh and i i was an abstract expressionist painter until in my senior year Wow. Uh, one of, one of, uh, the most important people in my life, uh, Professor Judith K. Brodsky, um, showed me in my senior year that the abstract expressionist paintings that I was making were really not resonating emotionally, but that the paintings that were really connecting with people were drawings and paintings that I had just made on the side of my father and me. Um, and, you know, my question to Professor Brodsky, Judith Brodsky, was, you know, who's interested in my father? And her answer is, don't worry about that. Everyone has a father. And there was kind of the seed planted that within the microcosm of the family, of the personal relationship, is actually the universal relationship. You know, even if it's my particular relationship with my father, it resonates universally on a human level. Um, so I'd been making paintings um, and animations of my father and me, my mother and me, and, you know, conversations, almost kind of Talmudic-like arguments, but it really did not have any kind of religious content until I worked with the Covenant Foundation. And it's really the Covenant Foundation that started this whole journey of these animations, the, the one that you're going to see in the entire animated series, Jewish Food for Thought. It all began with the Covenant Foundation, uh, with Carleen Appleman and uh, Joni Blinderman from the Covenant Foundation, who recognized um, that the work that I was doing really had the potential of being a phenomenal way to convey Jewish education in a way that was very accessible um, and engaging. 
So you've done a series of these animations on particular Jewish themes. You have a little bit of a series around yes. values associated with high holidays. I think forgiveness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're what, like one or two minutes? How, how long are those, the high holiday ones? Yeah. So the animations on average are eight to 10 minutes. Some are a little bit longer. Some are a little bit shorter. Uh, the reason they're so long is because, you know, the process is I, I did not have any kind of background in Jewish education. Uh, you know, I knew that I was Jewish, but it was not connected to anything. Um, but then when I started working, uh, with a project with Rabbi Leon Morris, who now runs Pardes. I know Leon. Was, I yes. watched him grow up here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's a very small world. And is- Leon was, was running a project that was funded by the Covenant Foundation in which we were making a, a Passover Haggadah in which each artist would take one of the 14 segments of the Haggadah and made a three-minute film connected to it. Um, and, uh, you know, the big concern was, okay, my characters are Jewish, the accents are Jewish, Israeli, but there's no Jewish content. Well, they said, no, part of the project is, is that we meet once a month and do Jewish text study. And it was in that Jewish text study with Rabbi Leon Morris that I started realizing that within the Jewish texts was, again, this wisdom that applied universally. It really, uh, you know, was something that was very relevant for me. And, I, and, and for me, it began this conversation, how can I take the wisdom in the texts and take it out of the text and make it accessible for people like me, who I considered kind of like a bagels and locks Jew? Yeah, I knew I was Jewish. Um, I like Seinfeld. I like Beagles and Locks. Maybe I go to synagogue maybe once a year just to hedge my bets, but it wasn't connected to anything more than culturally. Um, but here was this amazing wisdom in the texts. So how do I take it out of the texts? Um, the resulting animations meant that I would have to go to many, many rabbis and read many, many different texts from, from Tanakh, from Talmud. Uh, you know, uh, one area of Talmud that I focused on a lot was Pirkei Avot. But, you know, also, uh, you know, just many, many different texts, modern texts, ancient texts. And I would, I would amass all of these teachings and then figure out how can I take all of these teachings and put them together succinctly in a way that doesn't sound preachy and just as a conversation between a father and a son um, that would be helpful. And, um, you know, to my surprise, the animations have been embraced by ultra-Orthodox communities. Uh, Kikar HaShabbat in Israel, which is a Haredi community, has featured my animations. And the URJ, you know, the Union for Reform, Reform Judaism, has has featured many of my animations as the, has Aish. So it's become almost post-denominational where, you know, the wisdom that I'm choosing is the one that for me, it doesn't matter about the denomination, it matters about, you know, does it hit you in the kishkas? Does it really uh, move you in a way that sticks with you? Um, and the process of learning um, and studying with, with my rabbis and teachers uh, has just been incredible. And then passing it on through the animations and having people, you know, send me feedback, assuming that I came up with this wisdom. All I can say is, you know, I'm just the vehicle, you know, I'm passing it on, but it, but it belongs to all of us. You know, it's thousands of years of teachings on the human condition. Why do you think animation resonates more than if we just we we just shared a screen of of a of a piece of Talmud? Right. What, what, is it because it's uh, hits a variety of different senses? Because it's it, it triggers up when we were kids and it was like a cartoon. What, why yes. do you think? Why do you think 
animation just reaches people in, in a different way. So the animation allows for two things. Number one, an animation is much more disarming than a live video. Um, you see a cartoon and you're already ready to either laugh or not take it quote unquote seriously. So by being disarmed, it allows you to connect because you're letting your vulnerability and your armor down. You don't have your guard up. So you're connecting with this harmless, meaningless quote unquote cartoon. Um, so that's one thing. It allows me to connect with people better. Number two, uh, the animations allow me to draw the facial expressions of my father. You know, I, they're very, very particular. Um, my father passed away in, in, in 2012, but you know, his, his expressions are seared in my memory. And, um, so when I would try to impersonate my father on video, it wouldn't work because I wasn't his age. Now I'm getting closer and closer to his age, but, um, so animations allow me to play me, a, a younger version of me. And also draw the facial expressions and mannerisms of my father. And then there's a third really important thing. The animations allow me to create a dialogue. And this is something very, very, um, at the center, at the heart of Jewish teaching is this, this conversation. You know, one of the great things about the Talmud is, uh, you know, as opposed to maybe Shulchan Aruch, which might have, you know, specific laws and this is the way it is. Talmud is about this conversation. In one part of the Talmud, it'll, you'll interpret one thing and another part you'll interpret another thing. It's really the rabbi is just arguing back and forth. And it's within that conversation, within that argument, within that dialogue, that you get a much, much deeper connection and understanding of the material. So this animated conversation, I can get the facial expressions, I can get the mannerisms, I get the conversation back and forth, and it allows people to be disarmed through the uh, cartoon. So you, you really hit the nail on the head in terms of asking about why animation. That really is at, at the heart of it. No, I, I, I'm still back with the fact that it's a gift to be able to, to channel your father and draw your father. So the, the one that we're going to feature here in a, in a couple of minutes is about grief and loss. Yeah. Um, why that? So um, I'm going to give a, a slightly roundabout answer. Uh, you know, you I... Yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, my father was a nuclear physicist. He looks like the character in the animations. He sounds like the character in the animations, but he he wasn't really that person. Um, you know, the 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 father that I feature in the animations um, is this you know um, wise Talmudic kind of rabbinic teacher. Um, my father's reaction to all of this is, um, oh, you know, this is all nonsense. He would say, this is all shtuyot. Uh, you know. I, I was born in a kibbutz that was not only not, not religiously observant, but almost anti-religious. Uh, the irony is, is that on both my parents' sides, their parents grew up in very, very religiously observant homes. And my father's father, before he came to kibbutz Kinneret in 1919, is one of the pioneers um, at age 20 in 1919. Before that, he almost became a rabbi in Vilna. He was, you know, very scholarly. Um, and I believe that those teachings got passed on. So while my father didn't take the religion seriously, he passed on a lot of the values. So what happens is I immediately connected with the values. Why is it that the one time a year that I went uh, on Yom Kippur, uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, forgiveness and repentance. And that sounds so preachy and it sounded so judgmental. Well, when I, when I actually started studying it, the teachings behind it are extremely wise. Um, and the teachings that I, 
found almost always were completely paradoxical and opposite what I thought they were. Can I give a couple of examples of this? And this leads then to the morning in laws. Forget, for example, forgiveness. You know, you're commanded you to forgive. Um, and it's the hardest thing to do, but you must forgive. If the person apologizes, you must forgive. But to me, why forgive? You know, they never talked really, at least in synagogue, the ones I went to, why forgive? But then when I'm studying it, you know, I found out from Rabbi Abraham Tversky that by not forgiving, you know, you're hanging on to anger. You're letting somebody live rent-free inside of your head. I never thought about that. I never realized that by not forgiving, there's also personal cost and many, many other teachings um, that I wasn't connected to. So what I like to do is I like to think about a topic that really challenges me, like humility. You know, when I think of Judaism and humility, my son, the doctor, do you know how many, how many Jewish people have won Nobel prizes? It didn't come across to me as humility. When I find out that Moses is described in the Torah as exceedingly humble, the most humble man to walk the face of the earth, I'm like, wait a second, what does Judaism really have to teach about humility? And again, I encourage all the listeners to watch the animations because the teachings in there are so, so profound. I'm always very, very surprised by what I learn, and it, it's transformed me um, as a human being. And again, I cannot thank the Covenant Foundation enough for allowing me to, to go on this journey and make these animations um, and share it with people. Regarding the topic of mourning and loss, I avoided mourning and loss because I felt that it was a very um, dark and heavy topic, and who wants to watch something so sad? But I went to Israel last the previous summer to study awe, irah, and um, it happened to be right around Tisha B'Av. And there was this real sense of, and it was right after COVID, there was a real sense of kind of sadness in Jerusalem. And I said, wait a second, maybe I shouldn't be making an animation about awe. Maybe I should be making it about mourning and loss. But what do I know about mourning and loss besides the process that I went through losing my father, um, which was a very profound process? Um, you know, you, you go sit Shiva, you bring a kugel. Well, what is, what is it, what is it actually about? And, you know, how, how are, what's, what's the function of this process? What's the function of Shroshim? What's, what's the function of saying Kaddish? You know, what's this function of, about all of these Jewish, um, methodologies of taking you through this process? How, how do you move on after something as senseless and difficult as lost? Again, very challenging topic. Did a lot of reading, met with a lot of people, and then tried to figure out how to take some of the most profound teachings that moved me and and put them in this animated conversation. But but to be honest, uh, Rabbi addressed this this was one of the more challenging topics because there are no quote unquote answers. You know, there's not just one way to look at, at this. Um because everybody goes through their own journey with it. So I really try to leave this also open-ended. You're right. And there is no, you could read all the books you want, but everybody mourns and deals with loss in their own way. And, and uh, there is no right or wrong. Uh, that's one of the great, well, whatever. Okay. So we're going to give you a chance to actually see what Hanan was talking about. Um, and here is his animated feature. It begins with Kugel, which is not an unusual question about we're going to Shiva. Why do we need to bring the Kugel? Um, so 
Here we go. And we'll be right back after this brief um, animated short. I don't get it, Daddy. Shoshana's mom dies, and we give her a kugel? Shouldn't they say something to her? Whatever you do, Hanan, let her speak first. That's very important. And the kugel? Food is the last thing she should have to worry about over the next seven days. Not to get technical, but wouldn't it have been easier to just have it delivered? No. It's important that we bring the kugel and sit with her. It's just so sad. I just want to be able to say something to make it better for her. We all lose, Hanan. It's part of life. Yeah, but we don't all lose in the same way, Dad. That's why she speaks first. It's about her. We're just there to be with her, to support and console her. The last time I felt this way was when I visited the Holocaust Museum. This woman on the video, she must have been in her 90s. She told a story about how when she was a little girl in the concentration camp, she felt so lucky. (laughs) Because for some reason, her mother was never hungry and always gave her her bread. I mean, what do you say to that? You don't say anything, Hanan. You listen. And just be present. But how do you ever repair that hole? If I were the woman in the video, I'd feel so guilty. That's because you think you can control, Hanan. But that's the perspective of a child. You can control your actions. But you can't control whether you live or die, Hanan. But it's just so sad. It is sad. Extremely sad. But it's also so much more, Hanan. That mother in the concentration camp didn't ask her daughter. She simply loved her daughter so much and wanted to give her the gift of life. And now... Her daughter has memorialized her mother's kindness in the videos that speaks so strongly to you. And now you shared her story with me. But you still haven't explained to me when we get there. If I don't say anything to Shoshana, how can I help her feel better? Let me tell you a story now. In the kibbutz, there was a woman named Safrira who lost her son tragically, brutally, in the Lebanon war. Tzafrira's life completely fell apart. Not even her husband, Udi, who had been her best friend since they met when she was 16, not even Udi could console Tzafrira. And then slowly, even her relationship with Udi began to fall apart too. No one could understand Tzafrira's pain. Then, one day, Udi suggested to Tzafrira to go to a support group of mothers who lost their sons. It was there that Safrira met another mother who lost her son in the same war in a similarly brutal and tragic way. Safrira could see the same empty hole, the same pain in that mother's eyes, a pain that did not need to happen, a pain that did not make sense, a pain that would never go away. And in that mother's eyes, 
Zafrira found consolation. Satmasar's name was Fatima. The most important thing, Hanan, is for Shoshana not to feel alone. We need her to feel that her loss is shared by all of us. And then, then, the hope is that as she mourns and reflects and returns to the place, the hope is that from the place, she can gain a new perspective, grow a new horizon that incorporates the memory of her loved one. What place? The place where we can be ourselves without pretending. The place where we can connect with and be embraced by something larger than ourselves. Why do we experience loss, Daddy? It's a very good question, Ranan. And I don't know if I have a good answer. But I can tell you that in the Bible, Job asked God why. And God's answer was, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, when the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? What does that mean, Daddy? I'm not sure, Hanan. You'll have to ask God. So, um, Hanan, suppose somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, perhaps to pick your brain or bring you to a group, a congregation, an organization. Uh, how do they do that? So the easiest way is to contact me through my website. Um, there's a contact us button. Um, and my website is my first and last name dot com. Hananharkul.com, H-A-N-A-N-H-A-R-C-H-O-L.com, Hananharkul.com. And uh, click contact us, and that contact us goes directly to me. Uh, uh, you know, on there, you can also watch all of the animations for free. Um, and uh, they're meant to be for free. The Covenant Foundation, as I mentioned, funds my work. And people use the animations. You can actually take the animations there in uh, at YouTube. If you type in Jewish and forgiveness in YouTube, it's it's one of the first things that comes up. Jewish and gratitude, etc. Um, any of the midot, you know the the, the traits. And um, I, you can embed the animations in your website. Many many places have done that. You can share them. 
You can use them in Slichot services. And of course, I'd be happy to join your community via, via Zoom or, or coming in person as well. Speaking of Jewish education, and we, we, we talk about it a lot, and there's this, we just had uh, Rabbi Roselle on last month uh, talking about some of the significant shifts or lack thereof in Jewish education. The use of media and multimedia. So you're an artist, you're a painter, you're an animator, you, you teach, you make films. Yeah. Um, how do you see this um, this this menu of media? Uh, how would how would you like to see it evolve now in Jewish education? Uh, my sense is we're not really using it enough. There may not be enough trained people, but yeah. you know, if you could rewrite everything, and if somebody yeah. said, "Here's here's a, a synagogue, redo their religious education, their their educational program from kids to adults," yeah. yes, what would you do? So it goes to my philosophy of teaching, and and as you mentioned, I I made a feature film called about a teacher about my first three years teaching at a public high school. Uh, the film is on Amazon, and. Uh, I've been teaching now for 13 years. And one of the things that I learned as a teacher is that when the student is not doing what you want them to do, you know, it's very easy for teachers to say, well, look, you can bring a horse to the water, but you can't make them drink. Um, and to say, well, the kids are not motivated. But if the kids are not motivated, the question is, what is the teacher doing to change, to engage the kids in a way that motivates them? So I think one of the problems is, it's not a problem with the content, with a, with a wisdom. It's, it's, it's a challenge in the fact that we're used to being engaged in a certain way. Everybody loves stories, but people will not necessarily have the patience or discipline to read through ancient texts and decipher the stories and read long analyses about them. So I think it's, it's the job to, first of all, mine the texts and find the stories in there. Because, you know, we teach through stories right. and find a way to convey those stories in an engaging way. But I have now an even bigger tip because um, uh, several times now I've gone to Hebrew Union College and I've worked with groups of educators where we go through this exercise um, and I ask them each to bring in, you know, a passage, a short passage of text that is very moving to them. And then I, I put them in groups like I do in, in my classroom and, uh, they decide which text, which piece of text they think is, is the most accessible and moving and engaging. And then they have to come up with a dialogue with a script. Imagine two people are sitting on a park bench and they're just having a conversation. What kind of a conversation would encapsulate the teaching that's in this text? And I have them do exactly what I do in my animations. They bring the piece of text to life through a conversation between two people. And then I even show them iMovie and how to take some free icons and create a short little film in which two characters are having a conversation oriented around a text. And again, you know, this is something that um, I or, or any other artist can teach. It doesn't have to be an animated conversation. You know, it can also be a painting. You know, can you come up with a picture that within that picture um, is encapsulated, you know, the essence or the feeling or take a photograph that, you know, you feel 
conveys the feeling that you had when this and and connecting that connecting those creative projects where people are doing and making something and actually engaged in the creative process where they become authors but but the ingredients that you give them the color palette that you give them is this wealth of of infinitely wise texts and teachings you know it's well, as you're saying that, the thing that flashed in my mind is the blessing for the study of Torah. Yeah. And with the last part of which is La Asot Bedivrei Torah. And my, my best friend, uh, Rabbi Jukoski of Blessed Memory, when we would be sitting around after a staff meeting with the, at, when we worked for the URJ, and he taught this a lot, uh, because he said, you know, it lets the, te- let the text speak to you. It, don't assume just let the te- like and that image of two people sitting on a park bench and looking at a text and say well what does it say to you and that's the that it's it's really wonderful what you just the way you described it because it's such an easy thing well easy in the sense of you rely on an i'm thinking about our general um, older adult generation the work we do with jewish sacred aging to bring that wealth of life experience to a text, which is what we do and we teach, and let people just say, yes, I, this reminds me of when I did this or when I did that. Um, it is the power of text, isn't it? I mean, you, you, my sense that you've learned that the, the power of, of the sacred text is so unbelievably profound and just yeah. does speak to everybody. It is. It, so... Um, I learned this from Rabbi Leon Morris, who I mentioned, uh, you know, in the beginning, who now runs Pardes and was working on that project that, which, which is what introduced me to the Covenant Foundation. Um, uh, if you don't begin with the text, you know, the text is the source. So it's kind of like anything that you're getting outside of that. When people are watching my animation, they're getting, you know, very, very powerful teachings, but those are teachings that I interpreted through first reading the texts and analyzing the texts. So um, at some point in the journey, the texts, you know, have to be involved because it's kind of like the root, you know, that's that, that's that, that kind of crucial ingredient. The problem is, is that a lot of the texts are very unaccessible or they're buried in with some other texts that might, you know, you know, there are a lot of texts that I leave out, you know, there are a lot of, I'll read a lot of passages and I'll leave out 90%, but take the 10% that I really like. Um, uh, and, you know, um, but there's nothing to substitute from the text. And the, the other thing that I wanted to say that's crucial, crucially important in terms of education, um, and this is something, again, that I learned as a public high school teacher, uh, you know, one, one administrator told me in a 45-minute lesson, if you're talking in the lesson longer than five minutes in the beginning, before the kids are doing something, you're talking too long. And I'm like, but how are they supposed to learn? Well, they learn from each other. So I give them a task to do. And the task is designed in a very particular way that I planned in a very particular way. And then in small groups, they're learning from each other. The kids learn much, much better from each other than they do from me. And then I can come to the group and infuse the conversation with a little bit more pieces or steps or little breadcrumbs. And then they take it and they, they build it. But 
by the kids having a conversation, by having the people who are learning engaging in an actual conversation, and even more than just this Zoom conversation, like an actual conversation with people face to face, there is something that happens, a synergy, where then all of a sudden the thing that they're discussing, it comes to life, it becomes infused with with the humanity of each individual human being and they're bringing to it. And they also then add their own authorship and their own investment. So that's what really brings it to life as opposed to kind of just sitting passively and just ingesting things, which is what our culture has kind of turned into. You know, we're looking at a screen at the, at the intermission of one of my son's soccer games. I looked around at the parents and it's intermission. All the parents, every single one, they're just like this and their head is down. And, you know, if you came from space, you would say, what's happening in this society? Everyone's just looking down on the screen, scroll. And they think that they're, they're engaging, but they're not really engaging because it's, it's this, 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 uh, you know, study together in which we're really engaging and thinking and mining, turning the things around and, and analyzing them and dissecting them and also contributing our own things and creating, that's where really the the living and the learning and the growing really occurs. And again, I learned that as a, as a public high school teacher. Yeah, somebody tells me that your class is pretty cool. Uh, now uh, it is. In my first three years, I was a disaster of a teacher, but I, but now it now it is a cool class. Yes, it is. Well, I, I um, kohaka vote to you, and I, I I I hope your students understand that they're being given a tremendous gift. So, well, um, I, 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 not to sound uh, <laughs> like Berkeley, but my greatest teachers really are my students. I I've grown so much uh, as a as a human being. Um, and I felt more humbled and more put in my place by my students than anybody else. So no, my that's... students are really the ones who have shown me uh, my flaws and and forced me to grow. Um, it's very, very challenging. If you really, every time that something doesn't go well in a classroom, if you say, it's not the students, it's you. And what can you change? It forces you. It's a very, very uh, chuva process where you go in and reflect on yourself and say, where did I miss the mark? Where did I not um, serve them in the way that I needed to? And it's it's very humbling, and I cannot thank my students enough. And they come back and visit me, and um, it's it's a very very meaningful, rewarding job. No, and we'll be right back with Hanan in a minute. But just before we leave, a reminder um, about Advocare, our sponsor for these uh, Secrets of Meaning podcasts. Advocare Care Management is your link to assisting your family members in South Florida. And they've been doing this for several decades. Avocare assists with uh, medical issues, physician and medical center selection in home care and even senior living options. Uh, they provide complete support to those clients wanting to stay in their own home uh, for as long as they wish or for as long as is possible. And your family is assigned a, a nurse care manager or a social work care manager or both if that is needed. And Avocare is familiar with all their health and living needs and creates a plan to remain as stable as possible. They're with you and relieve a lot of that stress of being far away if something happens with a, a loved one in that Palm Beach County to Miami, Dade County area, which probably some of you know have relatives, parents, uh, siblings, etc. down there. So instead of a crisis, let me let me urge you to call Advocare or contact them 
to investigate their care and health management services. Uh, you'll be glad you did and relieves a tremendous amount of stress. Again, their website is caremanage.com, caremanage.com. And the number for AdvoCare in South Florida is 561. That's area code 561-266-3489. That's 266-3489, area 561. Tell them that you heard about it on the Seekers of Meaning podcast. You'll be very, very glad you did. Uh, it's worthwhile investigating. A crisis time is not the time to make those calls. Anan Harchal, Tadarabah. I wish you tremendous success and good luck. Uh, and again, real fast, somebody wants to get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing, bring you to their congregation, etc. They greet you or get you by? By going to my website, which is my first and last name dot com, Hanan Harkol, H-A-N-A-N-H-A-R-C-H-O-L dot com and click the contact us button and it goes directly to me. I want to thank you, Rabbi Address, for um, for bringing me in on this a marvelous show. Um, I also uh, want to thank the Covenant Foundation for funding my work, um, and to all of my amazing, amazing teachers who have who have uh, taught me and have helped me uh, produce these uh, these animations. They're all free on my website, and and uh, I hope uh, to have the chance to connect with you and your audience again soon. Oh, please. We look forward to that. And if you, if you talk to, uh, Leon Morris, tell him that Richie Address says hello from the old days. He was president of my regional youth group way, oh, wow. way, way. I mean, we're talking like in a galaxy <laughs> that will never appear again. So, but he's a, was, he's a good guy, really a bright, bright, yes. bright light. And thank you. And to Daraba, to all of you, thank you again for uh, joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning podcast and TV show from Jewish Sacred Aging. And again, if you'd like to contact us, email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. If you'd like to write for the website, please email me. We'll try and set something up. We have people writing for us from all over the country. And if you're interested in sponsoring a series of these podcasts, again, just email me, rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. If you'd like to make a tax-free donation, which we really appreciate to help further our work, go to the website and click on the donate button. Just follow the prompts. It's really, really, really easy. Secrets of Meaning is produced at the broadcast centers of the Lubetkin Media Companies here in beautiful Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a big shout out to our genius producer, Steve Lubetkin. Again, thank you very much for joining us. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We'll see you next time on the next Secrets of Meaning TV show and podcast. And in the meantime, everybody, just stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. Toda Rabbah. Shalom.